Well, welcome to the Pharmacotherapy Podcast. My name is Jim Tisdale. I'm a professor in the College of Pharmacy at Purdue University and an adjunct professor in the School of Medicine at Indiana University. I also serve as one of the scientific editors for pharmacotherapy. Today we're talking with Doug, uh, Dr. Douglas Jennings about his paper uh, entitled Inhaled Pulmonary Vasodilator Therapy for Management of Right Ventricular Dysfunction After Left Ventricular Assist Device Placement and Cardiac Transplantation. Dr. Jennings is Clinical Pharmacy Manager, Heart Transplant and Mechanical Circulatory Support, New York Presbyterian Hospital, and Columbia University Medical Center in New York City. Dr. Jennings' areas of expertise include pharmacotherapy in patients undergoing heart transplant and mechanical circulatory support. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jennings. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Tisdale. It's a great pleasure to be here. Uh, Dr. Jennings, how common is right ventricular failure following heart transplantation versus after implantation of a continuous flow left ventricular assist device, or LVAD? So it's a great question, and I'll tackle heart transplant first. So they are distinct entities. For heart transplantation, it's historically been uh, a difficult process to delineate whether or not it's an immunologic phenomenon versus non. So the historical issues related to graft dysfunction after heart transplant were immunologic in nature and pertained maybe to hyperacute rejection versus an acute cellular rejection. We've really gotten much more sophisticated in our ability to detect for the presence of preformed antibodies against potential donors and using sophisticated cross-matching techniques. And so we really don't see a huge issue with hyperacute rejection due to immune-mediated phenomena. What we're experiencing now is this um, entity that we've labeled delayed graft function, uh, which is similar to what's been seen in other organs like kidney uh, transplantation, which, where they call it uh, delayed graft function. And so it's a non-immunologic phenomenon, and it relates to uh, injury to the graft due to the mechanical process of transplant being uh, on ice and cold ischemic time and things like that. Um, so it's kind of a new entity, and so it's hard to describe exactly how common it is because we're still working on refining the definition. And so um, it, where you look in the literature depends on uh, the definitions that you're going to see. And we're actually getting more sophisticated in delineating uh, PGD-LV versus PGD-RV. And so depending on where you look, you can see rates as high as 45%. Some centers are reporting rates much less. Some centers just report it as PGD. So it's hard to even tell if it was RV versus LV. Um, and so that's really what, what it comes down to is how to determine whether it's immunologic versus non and then try to delineate whether it is RV versus LV. With LVAD implantation, it's a little bit more straightforward, um, but it is still somewhat difficult to diagnose. And there are a variety of definitions that are out there in the literature. Um, that have described this. Some have described it using a definition of requiring an RVAD. Others use a definition of prolonged inotrope support, so being on an inhaled, or sorry, uh, intravenous inotrope for up to 14 days. And so because of that, you can see definitions ranging anywhere from 9 to 40%, I think is what I've quoted in the paper. Um, there's actually a really nice article that I wanted to pull up because we, we uh, obsess about this quite a bit in patients that are being worked up for LVAD to try and predict who might develop RV failure and identify patients at higher risk. And there was another article that just came out in uh, the Journal of Cardiac Failure last month 
looking at uh, mean arterial pressure to central venous pressure ratio as a marker for RV failure after LVAD implant. And the editorial for that article <laughs> said the title for the editorial was another risk score for RV failure like having six Chevy volts when all you want is a Tesla. And we have all of these different scores. None of them are perfect, and they all look at different markers. And so we're still trying to really figure out how to identify these patients and uh, it, what, how do we even define it? Because some people are going to define it differently. Like I said, is it needed in RVAD? Is it needing long inotropes? Is it based on what you see on the echo? Is it how the patient's uh, clinical course is going? So it is. It's it's probably the length, the more lengthy answer that I'm going to give you because it's the hardest thing to to really define. Okay. Um, what are the possible consequences with respect to morbidity and mortality of right ventricular failure following heart transplantation or LVAD implantation? Well, we know very con concretely that in the LVAD patient population, RV failure portends of a much uh, poorer prognosis. And again, it leads back to the definition. And so patients that need prolonged um, inotrope support, for instance, some data suggests that they do just as well. And actually, we have published some of this data from Henry Ford on uh, patients that actually needed to go home from their LVAD implant on milrinone, and these patients actually did fine. There was no worsened long-term prognosis, whereas other patients after LVAD implant who need an RVAD um, have significantly higher rates of mortality at six months. And so we know that in, in the LVAD patient population, varying degrees of RV failure, if it's severe enough to need device support on the right side, carry a much worse prognosis. After heart transplant, again, it becomes difficult to put a specific number because most of the PGD studies, primary graft dysfunction, looked at just overall PGD and didn't report it out separately for the right side. Um, but we certainly know from a variety of studies, from single-center studies, that patients that develop severe PGD, which is needing ECMO or temporary MCS, have a much higher mortality rate, and some centers have reported up to 90% early mortality in patients that have severe PGD. For those that have more moderate forms of PGD that might just require uh, higher doses of inotropes, it really hasn't been delineated yet in the literature what their, what their outcomes are. Um, but certainly we can anticipate a higher um, length of stay, much higher risk of acute kidney injury, and uh, damage to other organs as a result of the graft dysfunction after heart transplant. I see. So it's a very serious consequence of, uh, of those procedures. That's, that's what are some advantages of inhaled pulmonary vasodilators over traditional therapy with inotropic agents, such as dobutamine or administration of vasodilators via the intravenous route? Okay, great question. So with the intravenous um, pulmonary vasodilators, we really don't use those in the heart failure patient population. They're, they're more relegated to patients that are uh, suffering from traditional WHO class 1 PAH, and uh, some of that goes back to some older data suggesting a higher mortality rate in patients that had elevated wedge pressures who received uh, in the intravenous vasodilators. You would also have to worry about uh, vasodilation and some of the other issues that are going to encumber these agents, um, along with, of course, the complicated dosing and med safety issues. Our bread and butter has always been dobutamine and milrinone as inotropic support for both the left and right side after cardiac surgeries in general or after heart transplant or LVAD implantation in particular. Um, those agents are going to provide you with the desired afterload reduction and with the inotropic support. Now, what makes the RV unique is that it exists in a very low pressure environment, and as such, it's able to operate 
on about one-fifth of the energy expenditure of the LV. But in, unlike the LV, which exerts very strong contractual torsional forces, uh, the LV, the RV, excuse me, kind of works more like almost on a peristolic, uh, like the intestinal smooth muscle. It's not nearly as strong of a ventricle. Um, it actually depends on 30% of its cardiac output from the muscles in the septum. And so because of that, it's exquisitely sensitive to even minute increases in afterload. So the major advantage of the inhaled pulmonary vasodilators is that you can directly unload the RV, which in the setting of RV failure or impending RV failure in the setting of elevated pH after surgery, you can see uh, marked reductions in pulmonary artery pressures, uh, decreases in RV afterload, and improvements in RV dysfunction. Um, and all of this could be obtained without the potential disadvantages of medicines like dibutamine and milrinone, which could exacerbate underlying arrhythmias or cause systemic hypotension in their own right. So which specific vasodilators may be administered via the inhalation route for right ventricular failure in this population? Okay. So our longest standing agent is inhaled nitric oxide, and that's the one that's been around uh, for quite some time and has been described extensively in the literature. Other agents that are available um, that have come about more recently include inhaled epoprostenol, and there's a fair amount of literature in various cardiac surgery and ARDS patient populations describing this agent. Uh, newer agents include inhaled iloprost, which has some advantages and disadvantages over the other agents. And then finally, what we've seen emerge in some of the more recent literature is the inhalation of milrinone either by itself or in combination with one of the other agents that I've mentioned. Does administration of vasodilators via the inhalation route result in any systemic hemodynamic effects or other adverse effects? So it can, and this was actually um, one of the main things that I wanted to highlight in the paper that we recently published in uh, pharmacotherapy because I think that there is some misconception here that these agents, because they are being delivered via the uh, inhalation route, that there is a sparing of systemic side effects. Um, and that isn't true. Um, I made sure to include some data from the Ilipro studies that showed pretty clear uh, effects on systemic vascular resistance. And so with medicines like inhaled nitric oxide, which have an extremely short half-life in plasma, there is uh, very little potential for systemic hemodynamic effects, although one does have to be cognizant of the potential risk for methemoglobinemia with inhaled nitric oxide. But the big systemic effect is that you still will have some absorption into the systemic circulation for medicines like epoprostenol and for iloprost, and this can drop SVR and exacerbate vasoplegia in the postoperative setting. Other studies have potentially hinted at a platelet inhibition effect, which is in line with the pharmacodynamics of these agents. They do work on prostacyclines, which are involved in platelet aggregation. And so some studies have suggested that in the post-cardiac surgery setting, you can see an increase in chest tube output and postoperative bleeding. Other studies have failed to show a similar result. So the, the jury is still out on whether or not there is an elevated risk of clinically meaningful bleeding through use of these agents. And then finally, the one study that was done with inhaled milrinone in patients that were post-LVAD implant did actually measure serum milrinone levels. And what they found was that in these patients, they did achieve a therapeutic milrinone level. And so while it was a small study, they didn't necessarily have the numbers to detect uh, clinically significant side effects. 
one that would be a clinician that would be using this agent has to be aware of the fact that patients are likely to absorb a system assist, assist uh, sorry a um uh, a significant amount of drug which could result in hypotension systemically or the potential for cardiac arrhythmias. So you've mentioned the several options that are available with respect to inhaled vasodilators for administration, um, and you just spoke a little bit about some of the potential for systemic adverse effects. Are there advantages or disadvantages within the class of these agents that help you decide which ones to use? So I think that's a great question, and that was one that we really struggled with when we wrote the article and why we really felt that we had to try to come up with something because, unfortunately, when we pulled all the literature, there is just very, very sparse literature describing uh, comparisons of these agents. Almost everything is a placebo-controlled trial or some other uh, non-comparative study. And so we don't have great data in this patient population to help guide us with respect to choice of agent. And so taking into uh, mind the advantages and disadvantages I've already mentioned with INO and its side effects and the potential for systemic effects from some of the other agents, I think it really comes down to each institution and this has to be a conversation between pharmacy and RT and they have to decide what can they do to ensure that there's safe and timely delivery of drugs. And it really does come down to a partnership between the two because the respiratory therapists are going to be the ones at the bedside that are going to be administering these agents. And for an agent like Flolan, which is our epoprostanol, there are significant um, technical steps that have to be followed in order to ensure that the drug is given safely. It can be given via fixed dose or continuous um, administration. And so there are a variety of things that come into effect. And it really does, because there's no evidence to really pinpoint the best agent, it really comes down to what is the institution able to do and um, what are the technical capacities of pharmacy and RT combined. So what we is, proposed... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. What I was going to say is what we proposed is that for... RV failure that occurs in the setting of normal PVR, pulmonary vascular resistance, where you wouldn't necessarily expect a strong advantage from having a um, inhaled pulmonary vasodilator, it would be best to start with an, in a traditional inotropic agent like dibutamine or milrinone via the intravenous route. And if one were to select an inhaled pulmonary vasodilator, then it would boil down to what are the institutional capacities. Um, from a pharmacoeconomic standpoint, inhaled nitric oxide and iloprost carry significant costs, and that needs to be factored into the choice that's made. Inhaled ibuprostenol is significantly less expensive, um, at least according to our data and what others have published. But again, there, there comes along with it the technical limitations. Iloprost does have the advantage of being easily administered to patients that are extubated. Inhaled epoprostenol and inhaled nitric oxide can be given through nasal cannula high flow. Um, but again, that comes down to the technical capacities, and a lot of institutions are either not comfortable or not able to do that, and so that confines usage to patients that are intubated. So there are a lot of factors that have to be considered. Um, what can the institution perform? What are they willing to spend? Uh, what and which patients might they want to target. So again, we, su we suggest only considering these agents in patients that have elevated uh, PBR, elevated uh, RV afterload in some form or fashion, whether that's through measurement of the pulmonary vascular resistance or a transpulmonary gradient or some, some other indicator that it would be advantageous to implement therapy with an inhaled pulmonary vasodilator. 
Well, this has been very interesting and obviously very clinically important information. And I thank you, Dr. Jennings, for being with us today. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another ACCP podcast episode. Our theme music is called Rocket Power and is licensed by Creative Commons. Please take a moment to recommend this podcast and subscribe via iTunes so that you'll get notified of when our next episode will be released.